Well, good morning. Lord be with you. And Lord be with you for those of you who are online. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to be here sharing God's word with you. I was going to do some sort of like relational building stuff, just introduce myself, but Josh has that all taken care of. Thank you, buddy. I want to deliver God's word. I totally forgot to dismiss the kids. Oh, you're supposed to dismiss kids. <laughs> the kids are dismissed. Count my blessing as a blessing on you guys when I prayed for Anna. That's nice. Oh, I like that. And they all like just rush out. All the stomping. Pastor Brianna probably knows that they're on their way now. Cool. Well, I get the honor and the privilege to deliver God's word and to invite you into the word of the Lord this morning. And so the word that I want to bring to you or the word that I want to invite you to come into is found in the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles with you, please would you turn to the book of James with me. As you're going there, why the book of James? Um, yesterday at the picnic, Josh was like, hey, uh, Pastor Bruce, he's ill. Uh, we need some sort of thing. And I asked him, what are we going to do? And he was like, I was going to plan like maybe 10 more extra songs. And then we're going to do some sharing and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, man, okay. Well, let's pray. In my car, I sat there. I texted Josh. I was like, Josh, how serious are you, man? How serious are you about like, Alex, you want to preach tomorrow? And the word... The word that I want to bring this morning is pretty relevant for all of us because if there's anything that I know about how to connect with human hearts, there's various topics that I think God really speaks into. And God really speaks through good news about what tomorrow will bring. God will really speak good news into how we deal with our finances. And God will bring good news as we wait in patience through suffering. And so this is the word of the Lord found in James chapter 4, verses 13, and we're going to go until James chapter 5, verse 11. So if I can have that up on the screen, if that's possible, the verses. So before we, we jump into the text, go ahead and take your time to find, find the verse here. James, um, there's a couple things that you should know about the book of James and, and who it's written by. James, this is said to be Jesus' half-brother, who grew up with Jesus, who watched his life, who watched his teaching, who watched Jesus just live, live as this perfect human being. And as he ascended, James goes, thank you, sir. James, he begins to lead the Jerusalem church. And the Jerusalem church here is now under persecution. Should I stand over here? Jerusalem church is now under persecution. Um, they are dealing with poverty. They are dealing with second class. They're dealing as those people found in a, the minority Christian people found in, in this Jewish culture now. And they're confused about their status. And so they're confused. And so James, the leader of this Jerusalem church, this good pastor, delivers to them 12 lessons throughout the five chapters of his book. And one of these lessons is going to be about wealth. It's going to be about patience and suffering. And it's going to be about God and this beautiful partnership that he has in the image of a farmer about God, his role, and us, our role. And so let me pray and let's read the text together. Would you pray with me? Oh, living God, we pray now that through the words you inspired so long ago, that you would speak to us this morning for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of the world. Amen. 
So let's read our text this morning. James chapter 4, starting at verse 13 until 511. This is the word of the Lord. Can I invite you to stand as we listen and read the word of the Lord together? Yeah. Let's read. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evident against you and, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He will not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to sit. James has good news for us this morning. James has good news about what tomorrow will bring for those of us who feel lost about whether or not we will have tomorrow or what tomorrow will bring. James has good news for us, those of us enduring trials and sufferings of all kinds, wealth or not related. James has good news. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. And James has good news about what we're doing here this morning. James has just good news about Jesus, who in his heart was established and determined and set his gaze upon the cross. James has good news that we are able to find Jesus in all of the things that we are dealing with because Jesus was determined to make his way to the cross, to reconcile us sinners to our Holy Father. This is good news from the book of James. Specifically, in James chapter 4, this is the outline, or this is the, the train of thought that I want to lead you through this morning. If you take a look at the text here, keep scrolling through it, and keep having your Bibles open with me. 
Twice, James says, come now. Come now, twice. You can find it in verses 13 and verse 1. Come now, he says, to two specific groups of people. Then twice afterwards, he says, be patient. Be patient in verses 7 and 8. Come now, be patient. That's his heart. That's a train of thought that we're going to go through. And the verse that I really want to draw your attention to is verse five, verse, or chapter 5, verse 8. And it reads, be patient. The second time he says it. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So I want to leave you with a question this morning that you can mull over as we read God's word together. How's your heart been? Has it been established and steadfast in the Lord? Lord's compassion and mercy. Are you desiring for him to deposit more of it in your life? Steadfast and established. Where's your heart? Let's start with the first come now. Come now, you who say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we're going to go and make such a profit at such and such a town and we're going to trade and we're going to come back with success. Come now. James says, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. What is your life? For you are a mist, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's a sobering thought for all of us, isn't it? That's a sobering thought, like this one commentator wrote about this passage. He said, we speak to ourselves as if life were our right, as if our choice were the only deciding factor as if we had in ourselves all that we needed to make a success of things, and if getting on, making money, and doing well, as if it were life's objectives. That's a sobering thought. Because that's the message that we are surrounded by constantly, that we will have a tomorrow that assume that we do, and that we assume that based on our successes and based off of our sufficiency, our abilities, our confidence says to us that, hey, tomorrow, if I prepare enough, I'm going to go to this place and that place and make a profit here and there, and then I'm going to come back, and even before I go, I'm going to let my friends know. And this arrogance, James says, this is not right. Because we don't know, he says. We don't know because why? We are a mist that vanishes. It's a reminder that life is fragile. And we're surrounded by this message. Life is fragile and we don't know if we're going to have it tomorrow. We don't know if our loved ones are going to have it tomorrow. And so what do we do? Where is the good news throughout the sobering morning? Well, this is what James says to us afterwards. What you ought to do what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. See, James offers us this better news. This person, this God, this holy God who created each of us, who formed us in our mother's wombs, as 139, Psalm 139 says, who tells us that he knows and searches our hearts, he knows our tomorrow, he knows the future of our, our, our lives. James offers us better news than us ourselves. James goes and says, the Lord wills. If he wills, you will do this or do that. You will have a tomorrow. And so everybody take a sigh of relief. Rest in that grace. 
rest that our God is compassionate, slow to anger, loyal in love, infinitely faithful. That's the way that he described himself to the Israelites back in Exodus. That's the way that he's consistent with us now today. And James is going to point out his compassion and mercy for us later on in the text. So for those of us who are navigating different seasons of life, if you're a student looking at what next fall is going to look like, if you're a family wondering about the future, about homes, about gas prices, about finances, about this or that, or health, James offers you good news this morning to take a look at our Lord and to recognize that if he wills, you will live tomorrow and you will go and do this and do that according to his good plan for you because he is a good and merciful God. So sigh in a breath of relief. Take a breather and know that you are resting in his gentle right hand, that he holds you up and he looks beyond what you cannot see and he goes and sets a mission before you. Because why? Well, this is the Christian faith, isn't it? The Lord wills. It was the Lord's will to look upon his creation and to know that it would fall, that it would turn his back against him. It was the Lord's will to know all along that indeed he would plan a redemptive plan through Jesus Christ, the obedient son, who laid down his life on the cross, taking our penalty in our place, reconciling us broken ones to our Holy Father who loves us deeply. This is the Christian faith. This is our statement of faith. This is what we believe. And this is the heart that underlines all of James's messages to us today. It's the Lord's will. It was his will all along to have us in his relationship with him. It was the Lord's will all along to have us deeply rooted with him. It was the Lord's will all along to send Jesus the Son. It was the Lord's will all along to send his Son down into this earth, not seeking power as something to be grasped, but relinquishing it and joining us in full weakness to live here as a human being incarnate, to face all that we face, to understand all of our emotions that we wrestle with and all of the circumstances that we endure, and then to go and reconcile us to this holy God. It was his Lord's will all along. Well, for the students and for everybody else that I always talk to, how is the next word? How, the Lord's will, you say. Okay, so I know that he loves, and I know that he is with me. How? How do I go about discerning the Lord's will, and how do I know if I turn left or turn right? Well, James, he also has this message to us, and we're not going to go through it today. Uh, when I preached the sermon a couple of weeks ago, we were in the middle of a series at Richmond Chinese Alliance Church, and so let me underline a couple of the things that we talked about in the previous sermon to that week. In chapter 4, earlier on, James goes and says, commit ourselves to the God's side. Commit ourselves to God's side. Commit ourselves to his side. Commit ourselves to go and see him and to be near him. How? Live in close fellowship with him. How? Don't be afraid to take radical steps to purge our lives and hearts of sin. How? Come through a place of repentance, 
humbling ourselves before the Lord. How? It's the things that we've all grown up doing or listening or being encouraged to do. Our Bibles, do we understand the word of the Lord that he delivers to us? Our close fellowship and brothers and sisters as we go and add to the puzzle pieces of a fuller picture of who God is? Repentance, do we live in a season of confession with one another, keeping one another accountable, pointing one another to Jesus? to relinquish sin and relinquish shame and guilt, to be near to the heart of God in those ways. Come now, he says, for those of us who don't know, we're going to have it tomorrow. Come now, don't boast in your arrogance about prophets, about doing this or doing that. And now he says, the second, come now. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. That's uncomfortable. Now, listen to this. James is taking a look at the rich, but he is condemning them for the ways that their wealth has been immorally accumulated. He's talking to a specific group of landowners here who have taken advantage of their laborers. They have kept their payment from them. They have defrauded them. They have oppressed them and the laborers cannot stand up for themselves. And so this is the word. The word here is about our use of finances. And James's teaching here leaves no room for speculation. Our financial deals as the body of Christ, as the children of God, as disciples of Jesus, must be honorable in every single way. Honorable debt must be paid. There's no room for anything else. And the ears of the Lord of hosts are open to the cries of any whom we might have defrauded of their due. And we must, as Paul later writes to the Corinth church, aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of men. There's no other way. Then listen to the heart condition that we might better relate to. If we don't find ourselves defrauding one another, listen to the heart condition that James addresses. It's here. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, he says. Now, there's no sin in merely being rich. That's not what James is addressing. But James is addressing the sin of self-indulgence. He compares it with an image of fattened cows. They have gone and fed and they've indulged in all of the, the, the meals around them. And little do they know that what they are doing is actually fattening themselves up for the slaughter. They think that they are finding pleasure. They don't know what is about to happen to them. God has better for his children. The way that wealth is used is what James is concerned about. Don't indulge yourself in it. But to the Christians that are in, already in poverty, who are already persecuted, James goes and says, look, look around you. Look and see those who you are surrounded by. Look, look at your brothers and sisters in need. Look even at those who are persecuting you. Look around in the world at need. Look. What do you see around you these days? Perhaps this is a message that you are already struggling with already. 
what do I do with the resources that I have? Or what do I do with the lack of resources that I have? In either way, James goes and says, go and look. Heed the warning that what we have surrounded ourselves with, the possessions that we, minister to, that we use to, to minister to our comfort, the more that we have those things, the less likely we are to cultivate this spiritual awareness that helps us in our battle for holiness. The more that we go and sit with the wealth and the things of comfort that seeks our attention, that we feel that we need to accumulate more and more of, James gives us a dire warning. We are blinded, blinded by the things that God has for us and even blinded towards the consequences that come. Okay, so the second come now is for the rich. A dire warning about finances and the use of them and the proper use of them. Well, now what does he say? Because finances and wealth and stuff like that kind of, I'll admit, seem like more distant conversations lately. This big word that's been tossed around, inflation. I've never heard this word until a little bit ago. But here I am talking to a bunch of Albertans, and I'm from Vancouver, and house prices and gas prices are crazy up high. And so I know that the theme is still relevant to all of us here towards different degrees, but here's some statistics that are across Canada that I think we can all, all, all come alongside with. This is a, a report um, from the CBC News, and this is titled from June 6th, so not that long ago. It says, more Canadians facing hunger, food insecurity, and all of this is said by Food Bank Canada. Nearly a quarter of Canadians say that they're eating less than they should due to the rising inflation. Hunger and food insecurity are increasing across the country with lower income Canadians feeling the brunt of inflation. And it says one of five Canadians reported going hungry at least between March 2020 and March 2022. In this summer, says the CEO of Food, Canada, food Banks Canada, says it's supposed to be one of the toughest years in history. With growing expenses each day, with things being harder to accumulate, with conversations about hoarding wealth being a little bit more distant than lately, what does James say to us? And here comes the first of two, be patient. Be patient, found in verse 7. Be patient, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Look at this metaphor here, the image of a farmer. The image of a farmer reminds us that patience is often active, not passive. There's labor to be done in our patience. God invites us into a partnership with him as we wait. The image of the farmer reminds us that we have our part and God has his big part. The labor of a farmer is that he plants his seed at just the right time of the year, under just the correct conditions, and having his labor complete, then 
he waits. For there is no other work to be done. All now he has to do is to trust. Trust that the rains will come. And this, this is the coming of the Lord. There's no other way to harvest. There's no other way to wait. Nothing can hurry the early or the late rains of the year. Nothing can speed up the coming of the imminent coming of the Lord. But all will be well. In the process of the harvest, God is at work. He's the one that germinates the seed. He's the one that promotes the growth. He's the one that prepares the grain. And just at the right time, the season of harvest will come. And then this annual miracle will repeat itself over and over and over again. See this mighty hand of God in your life as well. He's calling us to actively participate in our work, in our labor. What does it look like for you to plant seeds of faith in your life? What does it look like to toil the earth of faith in your life? What is the work of the farmer that you can also emulate and translate into the ways that you are living? The work of the farmer. The work of the farmer is to wake up early. The work of the farmer is to set aside time for labor. The work of the farmer is to dedicate himself to the task. To look at the mission of harvest and to go, that's what I am moving my life towards right now. The trajectory of the goal. The farmer recognizes that he's got his part, but then he fully recognizes that God's got his as well. Be patient, James goes and says. The Lord is at work. He's bringing in the rain, and he's on his way in return. And until all of that, God invites us to uh, come. God invites us to be in his presence. God invites us to recognize the things that he is doing. And how will we ever do that if we don't go and toil and set aside this time, just like the farmer does, to recognize our partnership with him? So be reminded of all of the things that perhaps you have ever heard about faith, about Christian discipleship, about responding to the gospel, about being here at church and listening and receiving and sitting under the word of the Lord to be transformed in your hearts. Be reminded. Be reminded of all the moments that the church or the pastors or even your brothers and sisters have ever encouraged you to open up this good book and to read it, to sit in the words, and to hear the person of Jesus come and encounter you through all of the stories of the biblical author and all of the witness accounts that they laid out. This is the inspired word of the Lord. Come and sit in it. Come and soak in it just like that tree planted by good water that Psalm 1 talks about. The one who meditates on the word of the Lord day and night. Who thinks about it. Who breathes it in. Who, who emulates it. Who's transformed by all of it. Perhaps now you're wondering, when was the last time you opened up the Bible? When was the last time you sat under the word? Shame and guilt is not going to help you open up the Bible more. Discipline will only go so far. But now listen to this next word of the Lord, James. James, in his second be patient, goes and invites us to hope 
Hope in who the Lord is. And this is going to be our motivation. He says, you also, in verse 8, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This word established, it means to fix your hearts on God. It's a heart of determination to look to the Lord, to depend on him, to lean in when life gets hard, to seek his will and his words and to trust in his character. It's the same word established that's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And in that context, it's Jesus setting his face to go to Jerusalem. It's Jesus setting his face to look upon all that's going to await him there. It's a look of determination. It's a setting his face and enduring the mission set before him. It's a word of determination, a persistency in meeting the goal, in fulfilling the mission. It's a word that Jesus goes and says to us, go and, and know that I was determined to go to the cross and see the love that's found there. And the more we open up the word and the more that we go and understand this Lord of God and this love of Christ, the more we're going to be wooed. How could this be? Jesus is, or James is, is nurturing our hearts to be fixed on the harvest, to be fixed on the returning Lord, and a heart that leaves no room for anything else, not self-indulgence, not boasting about a future or profit, but he's encouraging us to fix our hearts on the Lord. And this is determination. What does it look like for us to be in our patience? Well, James gives us some practical things that we need to keep in mind as we go and be patient in the Lord's coming. And the big appeal is found in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another in your patience as you wait on the Lord. Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, he's standing at the door. And so just like the farmer, there's work to be done. But this is another piece of added work. Watch your tongue. It's simple wisdom that we tell our children all the time. But this is James now telling us that as we go and sit in patience, many of us will lose our patience. And many of us will go and seek the conversations of one another and brothers and sisters. And then in those moments, our tongues may lead us to stumbling. Our tongues may cause us to grumble against one another. Our tongues may cause us to be stripped of the joy and the hope of waiting to be replaced with gossip, slander, and regret. In our patience, our tongues need to be made the object of our special guarding care. And this, this is also the steadfast work that the Lord is doing in our hearts. To hold us, to help us not to go into those ways. We all know that example of, you know, the big, beautiful holiday trip, the road trip that we're all going to take, and you stick all the kids in the back, or you stick even your siblings in the back, and all of a sudden somebody asks, are we there yet? The dreaded question that all of the parents know. And in the back, all of a sudden, there's fighting amongst the kids. The driver is angry, the music is not as good anymore, and the scenery seems to be bland. That's the journey that we're all moving towards, and those are, the, those are the, the, the words that we need to guard against. Are we there yet? 
this person or this person has done this and this to me. While going out and lamenting the circumstances in her life is good, grumbling against one another is a different thing. Finding hope and comfort in the, in the compassion and love of others is good. Turning words into weapons is the thing that James warns us against. And he says, let me close with this verse, 511. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Compassion. He has a right to abandon his creation, leave us where we are at. But instead, he looks upon us with love, and then he moves into action. Mercy. It was his, within his right to deliver punishment, to give us the wrath, but instead he withholds, he withholds, and he casts it on Jesus in our place. And in his compassion, and in his mercy, he produces in us a clear look of tomorrow and a joy that continues to be patient in our suffering to rest upon him. Look at Jesus with his established heart fixed on the road to Jerusalem. Look at Jesus with his set gaze at the journey of the cross that would await him there. Look at Jesus with his steadfast and established heart that reminds us that the Lord is compassionate and merciful to us in all of our circumstances. Look at Jesus who reminds us of the Lord's compassion and mercy and all of that is that is you're going through right now. And he invites us to come. He invites us to be patient. What is it that you are seeking a, a more established and steadfast heart in these days? Where is it that you're longing for a move of love and a deliverance of favor? Where is it that you need to be reminded of Jesus and his heart set on the cross to reconcile us to God who delivers to us his comfort and his love today? May I invite you to ask for more of it. May I invite you to seek the heart of the Lord in it. May I invite you into prayer now as we, as we seek the Lord's will. Our Heavenly Father, we take a look at the gift of grace that you bestowed on us through the cross. Father, there we are reminded of Jesus, your look of determination to, to know that the Father's will is to reconcile sinful and suffering and, and broken creation to himself. We look upon the cross, Lord, and we see your established and determined hearts to set us in a relationship with you. And Father, that's the heart that we long for. That's the heart that we long to experience each day by day. And so, Father, you invite us to come to you, to draw near, 
And Father, you invite us to be patient, to seek your will, seek your love. And so, Lord, deposit moments of faith into our lives. Would you deposit moments of, of love and comfort into our hearts? Would you deposit moments of your presence into our every single day so that we would draw near because you have first drawn near? And so, Lord, we thank you, Father, for the brothers and sisters that we are, are sitting around now that help us do this work. Father, we are more thankful, Lord, for the love that touches us each and every single day as we open up your word and soak it all in. And so help us, Lord. We need you more and more. All of this, God, we pray in your holy and precious name. Amen.